Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, we find out what's happening with Project Roomkey that Governor Gavin Newsom launched in April. The program houses people experiencing homelessness in hotel rooms to help reduce the spread of COVID-19. The state has since filled more than 10,000 rooms, and officials are now considering ways to make the temporary program permanent. But long-term funding for Project Roomkey is uncertain, and some local communities are resisting. We look at the program's future. You're listening to Forum from KQED. I'm Mina Kim. As of last week, the state has been able to place people who were living in emergency shelters or tent communities in more than 10,600 hotel rooms. But can this effort, known as Project Room Key, that was prompted by the pandemic to house people experiencing homelessness, become permanent housing? Some see this as a rare opportunity to make meaningful change for some of the state's homeless residents. We look at what lies ahead, and we're joined by Tamika Moss. She's founder and chief executive of All Home. Thanks for joining us on Forum, Tamika Moss. Thank you, Mina. It's great to be here. Also with us is Erin Baldessari. She's our housing affordability reporter here at KQED. Thanks for being on, Erin. Thank you, Mina. Good morning. Good morning. So, uh, Tamika Moss, I'd actually like to start with you and, and just take a, take, take a step back for a moment to talk about the ways that the pandemic has affected people experiencing homelessness, those living in emergency shelters or tent communities. Can you just kind of give us a snapshot? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the key for for this work is to remember that prior to the pandemic, we had a homelessness crisis in our region and in our state that we were trying to figure out how could we ensure that all of our unhoused neighbors had an opportunity to come inside and start working toward per- permanent housing options. And so I think when COVID hit, we had a an imperative to make sure that that many folks who were experiencing homelessness and were vulnerable to the health crisis were prioritized. And I think seeing the governor and many cities and and counties across the country or across the region step up and start figuring out how to bring people inside, make sure that they had access to medical care and services through this pandemic was a critical intervention. And, and we saw that. We saw um, communities, nonprofit organizations started to lease hotels prior to the launch of, of Project or, uh, Home Room Key. And, and that was a necessity because we wanted to make sure that homeless folks were not exposed to the virus um, in, in ways that uh, could accelerate their health concerns in congregate uh, shelter settings uh, and frankly, uh, living on the sidewalk. So it was really um, heartening to see our health officials and our city and county partners step up and and recognize how important it was to prioritize people experiencing homelessness um, in the pandemic. Would you consider, you know, filling 10,600 plus hotel rooms 
with our homeless population, our state's population of 150,000 residents, would you consider that a success story? I think it is a, a really important piece in the, in the moment where we are experiencing both the pandemic and as I said, homelessness is a crisis prior to this, to this health uh, emergency. It is not the sole solution to addressing homelessness in the Bay Area and across the state. And I think it's important for us to recognize that this is one small piece of a myriad of interventions that we need to accelerate, we need to prioritize and resource if we're actually going to disrupt homelessness um, at the scale that is necessary. Mm. So I think it is a, an advantageous moment that hotels were available because of the economic downturn related to COVID. We needed a health response that brought our vulnerable residents inside, but this is certainly not um, a sole strategy that is going to disrupt yes. um, in and the way that we needed to. And, and now, Aaron Baldessari, there's a question of whether even we can maintain 10,000 uh, people experiencing homelessness to remain housed, who've been housed through these hotel rooms. Can you talk about the effort to try to turn this temporary solution into a permanent one? Yeah, I, you know, I think that um, one of the challenges is that these hotels and motels and hostels are not necessarily always um, the best solution in terms of long-term housing. They're obviously designed for short-term stays. And so there's some difficulty in retrofitting those uh, facilities for permanent supportive housing. Um, there's been a, a push, a move away from single-room occupancy hotels as, um, as a solution to housing people experiencing homelessness because the outcome data really shows that people experience better outcomes when they have access to their own kitchens and are living in a less institutionalized setting. And so, you know, there's some concerns of how much it will cost to retrofit these, um, these facilities for long-term housing. Cost at a time when the, the, the state is facing a $54 billion budget deficit. That's right. Yeah. And right now, um, the state is relying on uh, the Federal CARES Act funding, uh, $550 million for the acquisition and, and rehab and retrofitting of these hotels. Only about $50 million, uh, there's an additional $50 million um, for a total of $600 million that could be used for operations. But, you know, $50 million across the state uh, doesn't really go that far when some of the cost estimates that we've seen are, you know, 2.5 million in Contra Costa County per month, for example, and that's for 500 and about 550 rooms. So you can see that, you know, annually you're looking at, you know, something like $30 million just for one county. Um, and so I think the challenge is going to be really ongoing funding uh, to provide uh, the services um, that uh, you need when um, uh, housing people in these uh, hotels. And speaking of county-level efforts, we're joined by Carrie Abbott, Director of Alameda County's Office of Homeless Care and Coordination. Thanks for joining us, Carrie Abbott. Thank you so much for having me. So we're talking about the cost uh, to make the facilities that have been used to house uh, people experiencing homelessness, including the hotels and motels, more permanent. And I wonder if you could just take us through Alameda's experience with this. I mean, initially, how were you able to procure these these hotel sites to be able to to house people? And how many do you have right now? If you could just give us a sense of, of what's happening in Alameda County. Sure. Uh, we started very early, right after the initial shelter-in-place order, um, working with the state to bring on 393 rooms uh, before the end of March. Um, so really trying to hit the ground running. And that's been kind of an amazing collaborative effort uh, with our service providers um, 
and the uh, Project RIM key staff at the state and local government. Um, and I will tell you, I've been doing this work for 27 years and I have never seen um, the government agencies plus the providers um, work so quickly. Um, I, mean, I think what the counties and the cities and the state have done in the last 100 days is really unprecedented. And I think we in Alameda County are really excited about keeping that momentum. Um, we currently have about 780 um, non-congregate uh, shelter availability, kind of, they're mostly hotel rooms, but we also have some of the state provided trailers that we're using for non-congregate shelter. So we've brought on almost 800. Uh, we have another 400 in the pipeline uh, for the next month or so uh, to also bring on, to bring in uh, vulnerable homeless folks. So bringing in uh, 1,200 people over the course of a few months uh, is truly exceptional. Um, typically, a county uh, like ours might bring on a couple hundred new housing rooms uh, or a couple hundred shelter beds over the course of a year. So um, we're also participating in the state's 100-day challenge so that we can try to place as many of those folks into supportive housing or into deeply affordable housing as possible um, without having to return anyone to the street. And 1,200 of a population of how many vulnerable homeless residents? Good question. Our point-in-time count in 2019 had just over 8,000 homeless people counted. Uh, I will say it's 1,200 units we've brought on, and uh. some of those have multiple people. Um, but it's a little tricky to get the right HMIS, uh, the homeless management information counts on a daily basis. Um, we did an analysis uh, based on healthcare records and homelessness records and found that we probably had closer to 5,000 vulnerable homeless people. So we haven't come close to uh, meeting the need among vulnerable homeless people in the county, uh, but we've come a lot closer than we had in the past. How did you determine who was eligible? So eligible for our uh, COVID positive rooms is pretty <laughs> straightforward. Um, those are people who are positive or presumptive, so symptomatic or close contacts of people who tested positive. For the rest of the program, uh, we call it Operation Safer Ground. And so we're bringing in people who are over 65 or who are highly vulnerable to COVID according to the CDC criteria. So different health conditions that make um, COVID more damaging um, to people. And we found that we had almost 5,000 people who met the CDC criteria um, within our homelessness system of care. And so we brought in the people who were um, who had been assessed as the most vulnerable in the county and that's who we have been targeting so far. And so now with this effort to, to try to see if counties could make these housing services permanent, how realistic is that for Alameda County? Well, I think that the state has been expressing uh, some flexibility on what becomes permanent, knowing that we've brought in a lot of people, but that we're running these hotels really as a shelter model and knowing that these aren't necessarily the best permanent units. So what we've been looking at, for example, is are there other vacant rooms, um, other vacant buildings on the market that we could potentially acquire, and we've been seeking to acquire already some buildings that we can use as housing and try to get those ready for occupancy while we still have the hotels. So I think that there, there will end up being a combination. Some of the hotels will be uh, pretty great to convert to permanent housing um, if they have the right facilities. You know, if they have kitchenettes and some outdoor spaces and can, um, you know, really turn into a community long term, then those can be great sites. There are others that, um, you know, simply wouldn't be the right fit for permanent supportive housing. Is part of it just the ability to provide services, Erin Baldessari is mentioning, retrofitting other issues that come up? Well, providing services and the ongoing operations costs are um, always a challenge. 
uh, the state has been able to secure a lot of one-time funding and we at the county level or the jurisdictional level then need to try to figure out how to have the ongoing support for the next 25 years um, and that can be that can be extremely challenging especially with uh, the sort of future of the Medicaid waivers up in the air and um, and of course as you mentioned already the cuts to general fund so our county's uh, definitely looking at every opportunity and definitely sees that as the kind of largest challenge in front of us. Well, we're joined now by Adam Christensen. He was living on the street in Novato and now lives in a travel lodge in San Rafael. Thanks for joining us, Adam Christensen. Oh, you're welcome. How has it been for you at the hotel? Oh, they've really taken care of us. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's a safe environment. And, you know, and the management here and the owners have been really, I'm very grateful for all that they've done. And what is your room like and daily life like there? Are there some significant rules or things like that that you live under? Oh, just that we, um, they take our temperature, we get three meals a day and water and just the necessities, you know, and if we need, you know, shampoo, soap, whatever. And then, um, yeah. And that, um, yeah, I've been very, um, I'm very grateful. And it's a good, the, because I came from the downtown street team. That's how I got into this, um, how I ended up here because I was on the street and I had had a stroke. So it's been very helpful for me. So you were you were able to be identified by the street team, and then you said that you have had health challenges prior to that. So you feel like being able to be housed in a room has really helped with those health issues? Oh, yes, because I'm in a safe environment. You know, I feel because, you know, you, you're not on the street. You don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming or if it's going to rain or, you know, just the basics. And So it's very, uh, it's very... Uh, reassuring I guess you could say it's it's just you know it, I mean um, like whistle stops been very good because I have a disability and it's will stop with Marin it's Marin access or stuff and the downstreet team helped me with that and they just helped me for my daily uh, life and stuff do you, you feel know? like you... yes go right ahead go. sorry oh sorry um yeah, so with the COVID-19 and everything, everybody's been displaced, and there's a large amount of um, homeless and mentally challenged people that are out there, and it's just, I'm just very grateful for all the help and support. Well, it know. sounds like you think that this has been a, a good program. I'm curious if you have a clear sense of how long you can be in the hotel room. Well, I don't think the staff have come out, so it's, I think it's a month or a month and a half. It depends on the county and the state and what's going on next and the federal government and all that, you know, because it affects, you know, everything. Yeah, there's, so, there are still some questions related to the future of, of these hotel rooms and the hotel room program. And I wonder, given your experience before and your experience now, I mean, could you imagine going back to where you were in Novato? I don't quite, oh, yeah, I mean, I'll survive, but um, the resources that I've received, there's help out there, and that I don't think I'll be in the same situation I was before this, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does, it does. Are there any other thoughts that you want to say about how Project Room Key has changed your life that my questions didn't get to, Adam? Oh, that it's just changed my life that I don't have to worry about, you know, where I'm going to sleep or you, where your next meal is coming from. And you have a, you have a team and they really help you and the hotel and the, what's going on now, they're really helping a lot of people. And I don't think people, you kind of forget that what's still going on because everybody's so wrapped up in their own stuff, which is understandable. 
but I'm just, um, yeah, I, I don't quite, yeah. So okay. any other questions? Yeah, how long, I... how long has it been since you've been able to be consistently housed like this? Oh, um, it's been three. I've been here for, I think, three, three weeks. Three yeah. weeks. And how long were yeah, you without then... housing before this? Oh, um, off and on, um, I guess, for the last four years. Well, yeah. I really appreciate hearing your perspective. Thanks so much for coming on Forum. Oh, thank you. Adam Christensen, he now lives in the Travel Lodge in San Rafael. And so I'm sure, Carrie Abbott, when you hear when you hear stories like that with Adam being able to, it sounds like, benefit quite a bit and feel a huge change in his circumstances as a result of this, that, I mean, the idea of, of not being able to continue to provide some level of this for people who've had it now for a few weeks or months must be very hard. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's great to hear Adam's story. Um, it, and, you know, we've, we've heard a lot of stories like this that are just absolutely moving and also really compelling us to do whatever we can to make sure that if people leave the hotels, that they're leaving to housing. And I think that the efforts over the last few months have shown that that's possible um, and bringing the other thing that Adam mentioned, bringing the services onto the site has made a huge difference. Um, being able to have health care and social services and behavioral health all in the hotels, working with the people who they often had had to look for, you know, in the different congregate sites where people were coming in and out over the course of a week um, or in the encampments um, or in their vehicles. This is really an amazing opportunity to connect people to more resources. Erin uh, Baldessar, do you find that in the counties that you've covered that this notion of trying to make these some of these hotels permanent in terms of housing for people experiencing homelessness, um, do you find that there's a lot of support from the community around that? Um, you know, it's been it, mostly it seems that, you know, there's been um, I wouldn't so much say support, but just um, a lack of opposition. Uh, that being said, there are several cities in California who have um, have opposed hotels being uh, established. Those are mostly in Southern California, uh, knowing that you know some of them could become permanent shelters or permanent homeless housing. But I think that you know, given the pandemic, there was uh, you know uh, I think folks understood that that this was a necessary intervention to prevent the spread uh, of the coronavirus amongst the greater population. There's some fears among the medical community that people experiencing homelessness could become a vector, uh, especially people living in encampments because they're moving around to different places. Um, and so I haven't seen a ton of uh, support, but there hasn't been as much opposition as we've seen to other types of homeless uh, shelters uh, around the Bay Area or around the state. We're talking about Project Roomkey, the statewide program that temporarily houses homeless residents in hotels during the pandemic. We're joined by Aaron Baldessari, housing affordability reporter for KQED, Carrie Abbott, director of the Office of Homeless Care and Coordination for Alameda County, and Tamika Moss, founder and chief executive of All Home. We also had Adam Christensen with us, who was living on the street in Novato, but now lives in the Travel Lodge in San Rafael. And we'd like to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. Have you or do you know someone who is experiencing homelessness? homelessness during the pandemic? Uh, what questions do you have about Project Roomkey and how it works? And, and do you think the state should continue to support this program? Give us a call, 866-733-6786, or reach us at KQED Forum on Twitter or Facebook, or email us at forum at kqed.org. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. In early April, Governor Gavin Newsom launched Project Roomkey, a temporary program designed to protect vulnerable homeless populations from COVID-19. 
by housing them in hotel rooms left empty by the pandemic. The state has since placed more than 10,000 homeless residents in rooms, and officials are considering ways to make the program permanent. But long-term funding for Project Roomkey is uncertain. We're assessing the program and its future with Tamika Moss, founder and chief executive of All Home, Aaron Baldessari, housing affordability reporter at KQED, Carrie Abbott, director of the Office of Homeless Care and Coordination for Alameda County. And with you, our listeners, give us a call at 866-733-6786 with your questions or comments. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also reach us on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum or email us at forum at kqed.org. And let me go right to a caller. Let's start with Isabel in Davis. Hi, Isabel. Hi. Hi, go right ahead. So, Okay, uh, so yesterday um, there were multiple individuals who were homeless and staying in the Motel 6 in Davis, California, um, which is in Yolo County. Uh, they were forced out of their rooms. They were given uh, two weeks' notice to find, uh, figure out an exit plan. Um, and they were supposed to be figuring out this exit plan with the coordinators of Project Room Key. Um, but these coordinators have refused to return any calls. They refused to answer any calls. Um, and particularly one individual who I am friends with, he had nowhere else to go, and they just threw all his stuff away. Um, he was forced to forced out of his room and given no kind of uh, resources to go on, uh, you know, past, the, past this temporary housing. Um, the letter that they were given uh, said that the only reason that these individuals were given housing in the first place was because of the state shelter-in-place order. When my understanding was that the program was intended to keep these people safe and um, kind of reduce the risk of getting contracted uh, with COVID-19. Um, and I didn't think that there was that kind of uh, restriction on whether or not it would remain in place after the shelter-in-place order was lifted in uh, Yellow County in May. Um, they've been neglected. They've been treated horribly by the staff, um, not in Motel 6, but the other hotel, the La Quinta in Davis, uh, they gave the the homeless one towel and one toilet paper roll per week. They would not do repairs of the rooms. Um, they would not give them food. Motel Six does not give them food, uh, and there's just a complete lack of resources given to these individuals who have no um, other options right now. Isabel, thank you for sharing that. Let me get Carrie Abbott in on this. I mean, first of all, I'm sure that is not the way that you would want to uh, release people if they were no longer able to stay in the hotel rooms, if that was even the case. Second of all, are you getting guidance that if a county has relaxed its shelter-in-place orders that it can then do this to the populations that are being housed in the hotels? So the guidance we received yesterday from the state uh, the California Department of Social Services was specifically urging counties to continue to provide the room key hotels. I think that uh, one thing that may be happening, and this is speculation because I, you probably know Alameda County is um, among the slower counties to reopen. Right. So we haven't lifted most of the shelter in place. Um, that said, when hotels are, again, able to accommodate uh, people traveling for leisure or non-essential activities, then obviously that hotel room market is going to tighten a lot. And so it's easy to imagine that that could already be happening in some of the other counties. And uh, something the caller also brought up is the food. I think that that's been a, a huge issue, too. Um, and our county chose to have meals brought into the site so that people didn't have to leave the site while sheltering in place. Um, but that, of course, has also been at significant expense. So the local resources required to bring all this together are significant. Well, Tamika Moss, could I get your reaction as well and also just to get your sense of what the state needs to do to make sure these kinds of situations don't happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate the caller's um, uh, perspective. I think part of the challenge that we're facing is that this program is happening really quickly. And to me, it's evidence that many of our jurisdictions across the state had insufficient infrastructure to really support people experiencing homelessness in the first place. And as Carrie described, I think that they're with the shelter in place in the counties um, having really different approaches for how they are reopening, it leaves a lot of our folks vulnerable. 
And so, you know, we have been trying to work with the state um, and Project Room Key, I think the intention is to work with the property owners to um, transfer ownership to the counties as quickly as possible so that the counties have more flexibility for how long um, people will be able to stay in the rooms because they will have ownership of the buildings. I think all of that is in transition right now because you know, the budget process is just now happening. We wanna be able to work with the, the, the state and the county to secure those hotel rooms as quickly as possible so that as, as the shelter in place lifts or um, you know, the, the regulations change, folks can still stay housed. I will say that hearing definitely from the governor's office and a lot of the providers that we work with um, across the region, we know that the ultimate goal is to ensure that people are not displaced and, and let, let to, you know, be exposed to homelessness again. And so I think because of the rapid nature of how quickly this program is being run, I think the, the, the sort of guidelines uh, can be interpreted uh, differently by county. And I think part of what All Home is really trying to do is understand how can we support jurisdictions across the region to have, um, you know, some economies of scale for ways in which it's working like Alameda County is doing and how can we share that, that information and support the, the community-based organizations and the housing providers and the county folks to actually work together in order to make sure that people are not returning to the streets. So I'm, I'm, I'm disheartened that it's happening, but I also think there's ways in which we can really tighten up um, how the program is being implemented now that folks know more about it, we know what the goals are, and we have the guidelines that we're working within to really um, ensure that that happens less and less. Are there ways in which to address the, the racial disparities that have also been highlighted during this process as well? I know that that's something you've been very focused on. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's been really um, illuminating across the, the country to see the disproportionate impacts by race uh, for those who are experiencing COVID. And to me, it just signals once again, that again, prior to uh, the pandemic, homelessness and structural racism were intertwined in how we needed to uh, address the homelessness crisis. And so I, I am very concerned that unless we make sure that we are focusing on those disparate impacts and ensuring that people who are most vulnerable are prioritized in our systems and making sure that we understand that by race, we are gonna to continue to see the same racial disparities that presented themselves even as recent as this pandemic. So um, one of my, I wanna just shout out Alameda County because I think that this is a place and Santa Clara County where they have done a racial equity analysis in their broader systems approach to addressing homelessness so that you understand how folks are disproportionately impacted and you can target your interventions and strategies to really respond to those disparities. And I think every, every county and jurisdiction across the state uh, with the state leading that guidance should be prioritizing how do we reduce the racial disparities uh, that exist within the homelessness population um, as we implement Project Room Key and other interventions that we know are going to work. Well, let me go next to caller David in Santa Barbara. Hi, David. Hey, how's it going? going Thanks well. for taking my call. Sure. Um, yeah, so I, I was working... Uh, up just outside of Oakland in Antioch and Concord and staying at a uh, hotel up there. And I was there for about seven weeks and uh, it was part of the, uh, the gatekeep program. And uh, it was a really untenable situation. Uh, the prostitution, the drug dealing, the just the theft. Uh, it was, it was just a completely untenable situation with having that population in the hotel. I mean, anything that was not, that was not bolted down was getting stolen. I literally had a hibachi in the bed of my truck with cooking meat on it and the whole thing got taken. Um, it was, it was just a really difficult situation. 
You're saying that you know that this was as a result of the people who were experiencing homelessness being housed, or that it was this population? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, they had they had actual um, meals being brought into the facility, which I called the hotel, um, which I thought was a really good thing, but it didn't seem to cut down on the element of um, of difficulty. Uh, I mean, like I was up there working ten hour days, and uh, you know, I mean, there would just be screaming. There would be, uh, you know obvious physical altercations going on all throughout the night. It was it was a really difficult situation. David, thanks. Aaron Baldessari, have you heard about this? How w- widespread are these types of issues? You know, I haven't. That's the first I've heard of these types of complaints. Um, I know that in the uh, hotels and, and motels in the Bay Area, there is um, a paid security uh, on site. And so I don't know if that is the same as in Santa Barbara, but um, I haven't heard of those complaints. Carrie Abbott, has this been an issue in Alameda County? You know, um, I I guess I think anytime we bring in uh, several hundred people who are used to living outside um, or in congregate shelters, to a single site, there are going to be bumps with that. Um, That said, we have had round-the-clock security uh, retained for the room key hotels in Alameda County. And um, we also have employed shelter staff. So, for example, um, in the largest hotel, we've had abode services since the very beginning, having 24-7 staffing to do some of the social services work um, that the typical hotel staff wouldn't have been trained to do. Um, And so that has helped with the situation. Um, So I I guess I would say we have heard some of this and there certainly have been a few issues, but uh, the county and the providers have tried to work together to keep things calm and encourage people to distance and to shelter in place as much as possible. Sounds like you're saying that overall you would deem this uh, project a success is what you're saying. Yeah, I would say that most of the sites are pretty calm um, and, you know, that it's it's not unheard of that there are issues. Um, but I think folks have worked together pretty well to try to uh, confront those issues and work with the neighbors um, to keep things as a community setting. Well, Kevin writes, what is Project Room Key doing to help housed folks to isolate? Fruitvale has high COVID-19 rates. Can we provide rooms to isolate sick families from healthy ones? Carrie Abbott, I'll go back to you. I, I know that there was some effort to also have housing available for that. Um, do you mm-hmm. do you see these things competing? Uh, I don't think they're competing at all. I think that we are trying to make our especially our COVID positive rooms available to those who need them most. And so people who meet the sort of HUD definition of homelessness uh, are the first folks that we have brought into the isolation and quarantine rooms. We've also, uh, in some cases where we see extreme overcrowding or just really complicated situations with extreme overcrowding or other congregate sites, we've also been able to bring in some COVID positive people uh, to the room key hotels, um, they just, we know that those rooms don't necessarily have the FEMA pre-approval. And so it will be a cost to the county, but it's certainly a, a worthwhile effort to keep people safe. Um, and as, as the uh, listener says, there are areas in Alameda County where we are seeing a lot of impact of COVID and the uh, healthcare services agency is working very hard to try to connect uh, with residents in those areas uh, to help with isolation and quarantine. Um, City of Oakland has also uh, done a lot of work with the Alameda County Food Bank to try and get food out to people who need to isolate and quarantine so that they don't need to uh, leave their sites um, and so that they can hopefully keep the community safe. You mentioned FEMA pre-approval. I'm wondering, is there any chance, because I understand that they approve funding 30 days at a time, is there any chance that they would not approve their funding beyond the end of this month to continue this program? I think that we're we're always hopeful, and so far that has uh, paid off. 
but um, we don't, at least for our county, we're not assuming that we'll have ongoing FEMA support indefinitely. We are trying to sort of budget for partial approvals and, you know, making sure that um, we have the resources available to keep the rooms open. Um, and, you know, of course, for counties, we all know that it's going to take a very long time to see the FEMA reimbursement regardless. So it's a little bit of a, a more future issue than even the 30-day question for mm -hmm. us. Again, Carrie Abbott is director of the Office of Homeless Care and Coordination for Alameda County. Tamika Moss is founder and chief executive of All Home. Aaron Baldessari is housing affordability reporter for KQED. And you, our listeners, are with us. James tweets, can Project Roomkey be merged with the older Housing First program? Tamika Moss? Housing First. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's our view that Housing First should guide all of how we are responding to addressing homelessness. Um, you heard from Adam very directly that when someone is housed, they are more able to manage everything else that's going in their lives. So I know that, again, that principle is, is a national standard. I know that as Project Room Key Hotels um, either are purchased or are used as transitional um, housing until people can find permanent housing, that the housing first model is being applied. So I think that they are one in the same. It is also a state priority um, that the governor and the homelessness council um, has endorsed. So I think it's critically important that those things remain linked as we try to figure out how um, to further implement Project Room Key. Well, Namiko asks, how can immigrant communities experiencing homelessness access Project Roomkey and other programs like it, particularly in Sonoma County? Erin Baldessari, do you have any resources for Namiko? Uh, not directly, but um, what has been a model that's been used in many of the counties where I've um, uh, spoken to um, service providers and officials working in these programs has been to connect the, the easiest way to, to get into the hotels is to first connect to a service provider and those service providers can, can then connect to the county services. I haven't seen hotel programs being operated in a way where people can directly access the go, you know, show up at the hotel and get a room. Um, so I, I guess my uh, advice would be to, to connect to a service provider in Sonoma County and work with them to um, try to see if they can get access into a hotel room. And well, Mina, I wonder yeah, if I can chime in on that. Um, so, you know, I think the, the other piece that's important to recognize is that many of the folks who are experiencing homelessness um, don't, aren't necessarily going into the hotels. Um, and there are other efforts, many of the community foundations uh, across the region, um, Silicon Valley Community Foundation, Destination Home, San Francisco Community Foundation have set up funds specifically for um, undocumented and immigrant families who are unable to otherwise access rental assistance to actually stay housed. And if they are experiencing homelessness, living in their vehicles or are housing insecure, folks are able to access those funds because they're ineligible for a lot of the state and federal funds. So I think it's really important to ensure that we are not just seeing the, the hotel rooms as the only intervention in this moment to um, address homelessness. Many of the folks who, um, who are insecurely housed don't need permanent supportive housing. So we've been doing a lot of advocacy around rental assistance at the federal level to ensure that jurisdictions across the state have access to financial assistance and rental assistance that provides subsidies for permanent, permanent housing. So I think it's, it's, again, Project Room Key is one piece of the myriad of solutions that we're trying to make sure folks have access to in the midst of their housing crisis. And, and speaking and of those, add, yes, Aaron Baldessari. Sorry about that. Just to add on what Tamika said, there's also a statewide um, initiative, Hotels Not Graves, that is um, kind of a coalition of nonprofit and advocacy groups who are, you know, really trying to fill hotel rooms with private donate money from, um, you know, that they've raised through private donations. And so, there is also kind of a separate effort 
to house even more people in hotel programs that don't have to go through the same sort of uh, requirements through the county program. Uh, and thanks for that. And thanks for making those points, both of you. Let me go next to Scott in Oakland. Hi, Scott. Hi there. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm curious, you know, it's been stated in this program that um, moving forward, we're going to try to keep using hotel rooms as resources for um, people who are unhoused. And I was wondering what the, the legal arguments or maybe otherwise motivations would be for those private businesses to um, to serve a public need. Uh, Scott, thanks. I mean, Carrie Abbott, the, the idea is to purchase the hotel outright, potentially, if that if that's the facility that's being used. Yeah, I would say um, some of the hotels are really interested in that. Uh, they may believe that the tourist industry is not going to rebound extremely quickly um, or, you know, in, in some cases, like we've seen a hotel owner who was in a vulnerable category over 65 and did not want to continue operating a hotel during COVID, which, as we know, is not over right now. Um, so some some have told us that they're interested in acquisition. Alameda County has had a request for proposals for sites that would like to be acquired. And some others are intending to go back to their former business when they're able to. And so we, uh, I, I describe it as playing 3D chess sometimes with all of the different rooms that are available now that might not be available, others that aren't available yet, but might be available in the future. So it's really just kind of taking each building case by case, figuring out whether we can maintain it, whether the owner wants us to maintain it, and uh, what our need looks like going forward. Carrie Abbott, could you respond to Chris's uh, question? Chris writes, I've had two pulmonary embolisms and I'm in urgent need of a hip replacement. I've been denied placement in Project Roomkey because I'm 57. Does every county use the same guidelines and is there someone I can follow up with? And I don't know what county Chris is in, but I mean, what it sounds like is that there are, Carrie Abbott, some, some core requirements, but then the county really does have some leeway in determining who gets what or who gets access, for example, to Project Roomkey. Yeah, the counties have to balance the the prioritization that they have in place through their coordinated entry system. So trying to bring in people who've been long-term homeless, people with many vulnerabilities, and there's also the FEMA criteria for reimbursement. So if the county has every person in every room meet that criteria, then they'll get back theoretically 75% of the money that they put in. And as I said, the, that criteria includes people who are over 65 kind of automatically, but it also includes people under 65 who have these different physical vulnerabilities. And that's where the counties have been sometimes interpreting differently, mm -hmm. um, either trying to prioritize the very highest risk folks within those categories or including everyone within those categories kind of on a first come first serve. So it's gonna vary uh, by county how people get referred in but the eligibility that you're describing is really based on whether we expect to be reimbursed in the long term. And so, for example, Alameda County has um, opened one hotel that targets uh, women and children or, or women and families in particular. Um, and many of those guests will not meet the FEMA reimbursement criteria. But we saw a tremendous need among some unsheltered families and some pregnant women and felt that that need was so compelling we needed to take the risk of getting less reimbursement in that case. Well, Leslie writes, I think this program is necessary and should be made permanent. The fact is, after July, when eviction reprieves are due to expire, there will likely be an increase in homeless due to people unable to pay rent or because they've lost their jobs or their place of business is no more. I mean, Tamika Moss, after all is said and done, I mean, you've talked about the situation before the pandemic hit. I mean, how concerned are you that we will see more people than before who are experiencing homelessness as a result? I'm, I'm very concerned about it, 
<clears throat> we've seen um, some data that projects we could see a 20 to 40% increase in of people experiencing homelessness because of the economic depression. And so I think it's important to make sure that programs like um, Project Roomkey can be, you know, implemented and scaled as much as possible, but it also is necessary for us to be, you know, deploying every other housing intervention that we know works and leading with our data to ensure that we are being urgent about our responses, that we are putting our resources where they need to be, and, and frankly, using the political will and momentum um, to not, um, not dissuade our, our priorities because we are in an economic um, downturn. I think, in fact, it's even more important for us to get creative and figure out what other, you know, um, systems reforms, our zoning, our, um, you know, our regulatory processes that need to be evaluated in order to ensure that we do not um, lose the people who are currently indoors through the COVID crisis in anticipation that there will certainly be more um, who are gonna be vulnerable um, because of the economic implications of this, of this health crisis. And Mina, I just wanted to also say to the caller who was talking about his health conditions and what was happening in county to county, I just think it's super important for us to really tackle this issue from a regional perspective. When the county health officials came together to do the shelter in place together, it was such a fantastic example of how collaborating across geographies, sharing information in real time and doing things together centralizes your ability to be able to implement and see where things are not working and where they are working. Well, let's hope that we can keep the gain so far and, as you say, address the urgent need for more. Tamika Moss of All Home, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you. Carrie Abbott of Alameda County, appreciate having you on as well. Thank you. And Aaron Baldessari, housing affordability reporter for KQED, thanks so much. Thank you, Mina. And thanks to our listeners for their stories, their questions, their comments, their concerns. Really appreciate it. Blanca Torres, Tina Lauberg, Susan Britton produced today's segments. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Thanks for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation, and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.